Uh, I was talking recently to a uh, pastor friend of mine, and we started to compare uh, weddings, how many weddings we've done, and uh, it's one of the things that pastors get to do. Um, In fact, I have a nice black suit that I call my Mary and Barry suit. That's when I break it out uh, for Marion and Barion. And uh, um, so we are talking a little bit, and actually we talked about how many times have we married someone, and how many of those people are still married. And the number was shocking how many had gotten divorced. Recently, I was also talking to a friend of mine, uh, an older someone in the church, and they were sharing a little bit about how their kids and other people around their age uh, don't come to church. And I think that that is a really kind of trend in our church where you have people who have grown up in the church, served in the church, some of them have built churches, some of them are pastors, former pastors, retired pastors, and their kids have nothing to do with the church. It's like we're missing a generation almost. Still, I was talking to a friend of mine, my age. He looked at me and he said, you know, listen, I hate my job. I can't stand it. He said, every week it's just terrible. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I hate every one of them. I look forward to the weekends. I, I don't even know what to do with my job. I don't know why I'm in this job. I'm only in there because I need the money. That's the only reason I go. So you have those three trends. That stinks. Some of you could find yourself in one of those three places today. Some of you are here without your spouse and you really wish they were here. Hope that they would be here. Some of you have kids, and you know they don't want anything to do with Jesus, or anything to do with church. You pray for them. You ask us to pray for them. Pastor, will you pray for them? You got the inside track, right? Maybe God will hear your prayers, because he's not hearing mine. And some of you know what it's like to be in a dead-end job. You hate it, don't you? You wish you had some other options, different ways to do. If you're in one of those three roles, I'm going to take a moment, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. My hope for this message, this time together, is that you will feel encouraged. You will feel some sort of hope wherever you are, especially in one of those three places. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We invite you into this service. And I pray for the individual or individuals here this morning who say, yep, that's me. My marriage stinks. My kids don't know you. My job is terrible, and they need your touch. So, Father, come now in the only way that you can, beyond whatever words I may utter, take over and take control and let your spirit live among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the good news is, that's really bad news, bad way to start a sermon, but uh, the good news is, is we're not alone. We all suffer in those three realms. And actually, we might think it's just a problem of our culture, but it's not. Because if you go to Ephesians, which we've been working through this book, and Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, they were facing the same, same problems. They were facing these issues with their marriages, these issues with their kids, these issues with their job or their profession or what they were working into. And everyone he needed to encourage them and speak to them. And in doing that, he sums it all up with one point, one point, and he says this to them. This is Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, verse 21. He says this, submit to one another out of reverence 
for Christ. Can we say that together? Can you guys read that with me? Again, let's, let's do it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is so important. Let's say it one more time together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the main thing we're going to be talking about today. In fact, he jumps off of this topic and goes through the rest of what we are, almost a whole chapter, talking about three different realms, interrupting them, speaking about some other things. But really, it's all summed up in this. So if you don't get anything out of the sermon, I hate when pastors say that because that's usually be people don't get anything else out of the sermon. But go ahead, get this and then some other stuff later. But make sure you get this. This is important. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In fact, I summed it up there. You can fill it out in your notes. Uh, there is your, is your little fill out there and your, your little handout. It says this. It says, reverent hearts... Respond with submission, resulting in life change. Reverent hearts respond with submission, resulting in life change. If you want change in your marriage, it starts with your reverent heart submitted to Christ, responding with submission. If you want your kids to change, your relationship with them to change, it starts with your reverent heart submitted to Christ, submitted to them brings change. If you want your job, your future, your profession, the purpose that you find in that to change, it starts there. Now, you might say this, this is a tough thing to swallow, and it totally is, because we have a hard idea. We have a hard understanding of what the word submission means. Who here, who here, let me talk to, to, the, to the husbands, okay? Who here thinks their wife does a good job submitting? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. No, I got one, one, and it's the pastor. All right, the rest of you guys don't dare raise their hand. All right, all right, all right. Women, let's let's. It's your turn. Right, right. Raise your hand if you think you do a good job submitting. <laughs> you like how I phrased that? Isn't that awesome? I snuck that in there. All right. So submission is a hard time because we believe in our culture that it's all about control. It's all about leading. It's all about be having the freedom to do what we want. Right. And so when we talk about submit. We talk about weakness. We talk about lowering. We talk about lessening. And really, that's what the word means. The word literally means a willful lessening of yourself. But here's the interesting point. So in Greek culture, if you get out all the Greek books, all the books that were written in Greek, and this was one of them, the New Testament, uh, Paul was writing this letter in Greek. And this word that is translated submission, submit, out of reverence for Christ, is a, is a kind of like a, an employee term. He's talking about people that should submit. And every time he uses this word, he also uses another word that talks about authority. In all of great culture, you talk about these two roles, submission to authority. These people submit, these people rule. These people overlook the people that are submitting. And this is how you create this balance, so to speak, within the workforce, within relationships, within a, within a job title. And, and Paul is willfully choosing not to use this word. He's not using the authority word. He's saying, Submit. Lessen yourself, and if he's using any kind of authority, what is it? It's actually the Greek word Christos, which is what was translated what? Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Guys, listen, I can talk all about the best things I've ever learned in marriage, best things I've learned as a parent, best things I've found purpose in my job, but it means absolutely nothing. I can get up here and get people that are profession counselors, can talk about all the important things that you need to learn, whatever relationship you're struggling in, but it won't mean a thing unless you are willing to submit out of reverence 
for Christ. Christ is the model. Listen, listen, listen. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Don't miss this, okay? He loved you. He, God, took all of himself and jammed it into a human. Put everything that he had of God, put it into one human. And had him walk around on this world for 30 years and it's the ultimate idea that he would die for you. Not as an authority. He didn't come to rule over you. They tried to make him king and he got out of there. He came to die. He came to submit. He came to lessen himself because he loved you. And it was the only way that you could connect with God. And that was the model. Even though he had all the God stuff jammed up in him, all the power, all the possible ways to do whatever he wanted to do, he chose to humble himself, even to the point of death, even to the point of death on a cross, because he wanted to die for you. He wanted to die for your marriage. He died for your kids. He died so that you could have purpose on this earth through your job, through your profession. And unless you get that, I'm just going to talk about some words and it ain't going to mean anything to you. That is so, 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 so key. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The cross is not a way to lord over people. Oh, it's not a way to, to, to rule over someone. The cross is actually an invitation to come and die. So, as you walk into your relationship, hear these words. Reverent hearts connected with Christ. Respond with submission, resulting in life change. That's the power of what Paul will say. In fact, here's how I can back this up, okay? It's like he, he jumps into this. He says this point, you know, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then he, then he kind of gets ahead of himself a little bit, and he starts talking about wives and, and husbands. Let's keep reading. Can we, can we do that? This is, um, this is chapter 5. He says, wives, submit to, one, submit to yourselves out of the husbands respect to the Lord. So he's already talking about wives, right? Okay, well, hold on. I know I, I know I did that fast. We don't need to hear that right now, okay? For the husband is the head of the wife as the Christ is the head of the church. I'm doing that fast for the reason, okay? Then he interrupts in verse 24. He's like, he just stops in mid-thought and goes completely to another idea. He says this. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also the wife should submit to her husbands of Christ. So he's like, he's saying something. He interrupts it with this idea of Christ. Interrupts this with the idea of church. Let's keep going. Keep going. He keeps doing this. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Keep going. And to present to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any blemish, but holy and blameless. He's still talking about the church. He's talking about Christ. And then he goes back. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are the members of his body. You see what he's doing? It's like he's talking about wives and husbands, but he can't get over the idea that this really isn't about husbands and wives. This is about something else. This is about Christ. It's about Jesus. Keep going. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a profound mystery. And he says it plainly. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. So I know your marriage is messed up. I know your kids are out not doing whatever they want to do, not doing what you want to do. You complete, uh, not control over your kids at all. But listen, this is about Christ. It's about you and your connection with Christ and willing to live his model of submission. Submit to Christ out of reverence for Christ. Willful decision to lessen yourself for the betterment of another person. Wow. Wow. Well, I do want to talk about some ideas of how you can live out this submission, but I want you guys to rest there. I want you guys to, to grab a hold of that. Make sure you're all good. Are we all good? Are we good? Everyone there with me? Okay. If not, you can just stop right now, bow your head, and just pray that God helps you. If not, we can continue, but... You ready? Okay, let's go. Let's go. Well, let's do it anyway, all right? Let's talk about wives and husbands. Let's talk about wives and husbands. I got three things that I've learned in my life. I'm not a counselor. I don't have everything figured out. I don't have the perfect marriage. We've got issues in our marriage just like every person does. Why do we have issues in our marriage? Because we're two people that are broken people, okay? So there's, there's problems galore. Hear all of that. But I got some suggestions that may help you in your marriage. So if you want to scribble down some suggestions, you can learn that, okay? Here, here's the first one. Here's the first one. All right? Talk about everything. Talk about everything. Talk about your day. Talk about what you did. Share that with them. The marriage that doesn't communicate about everything is a marriage with problems. If there's things you're holding back and not sharing with the other person, then there's an issue in your relationship. Share everything. Talk about your kids. Talk about your fears. Talk about your finances. Talk about your hopes. Talk about your failures. Talk about your sex life. Talk about everything, everything, everything. Open communication. The majority of problems in my relationship with Mary have stemmed because of a lack of communication. Dudes. Husbands, talk. Share about what's, your, what's on your heart and what's on your mind. Some of you might use 100 words. Some of you might use 10 words. But talk. Wives, talk about what's on your heart and what's on your dreams. Some of you might use 100 words. Some of you might use 1,000 words. <laughs> talk. Talk. Communication is key. Number two. Number two, let me give you something you can't talk about. Let me break my own rule, right? You can't. This word is taboo. Anyone play that old game with the buzzer? That as soon as they say the taboo word, they go bzzz and buzz them, right? So anytime you hear this word in your marriage, you need to buzz it. Bzzz, and the word is the D word, right? It is divorce. Oh, guys, we have a divorce problem in our culture. Now, if you are divorced, if you're on your, your second marriage or, or beyond that, believe me, we have nothing but grace for you and love for you, and that's a different message, okay? But I want to talk to the people who are married right now. I don't care what your past is, but God does not want you to get divorced, okay? 
Don't make that an option. Don't go into the marriage thinking, I'm going to use divorce. Don't use it as a joke. Don't use it as a threat. And as soon as you hear it, take out the taboo and buzz them. Nope, not going to say it. In fact, I'm going to make you guys make a promise. Can I? Everyone who's married, raise your right hand. You're going to promise me something, okay? You're, oh, man, you guys are so willing. <laughs> I solemnly swear to give Shane a million dollars. All right. Uh, no, I'm going to make you guys promise something. Get your hands up. Get your hands up, okay? Uh, you, you will promise me that you will not get divorced until January. <laughs> promise? Can everyone promise that? Yeah, okay, I'm holding you to it. Okay, we're going to get this on video. This is going to hold up in court, all right? Or <laughs> Promise me. Here's what's going to happen in January. We have, we have three teachers that are going to teach a class on marriage here, okay? We're going to teach a class, and we're gonna, they're going to be far better for you than, than I can give you in a little bit of a message, but I want to promise you, no one gets divorced until that class happens. Deal? And you sign up for that class. If you want to sign up for that now, you can just write that on a, a little note. You can send us an email or text and say, I want to in on that right now. We'll sign you up. If you have questions, you have issues that they'd like to talk about, they're still forming what they're going to talk about. So they would gladly add all those questions into there. We want to give you whatever you need to make your, your marriage succeed. And so we will do that. But promise me, no divorce until January. Deal? Okay. I, I got it on tape, so we were good on that. Last thing, last thing. Make time to date your spouse. Make time to date your spouse. Love them, treat them nice, and make time for them. Let me talk to you uh, people who are married who have kids, okay? You know that if you love your kids more than you love your spouse, your marriage is beginning to crumble. Let me say that again, okay? You made a choice. You made a promise to love that person. The kids just showed up at your doorstep. The stork brought them, right? <laughs> but you made a choice to love them. So love them. Treat them. I love the story of an old couple I met recently, and I asked them what was their first date. And they said, we went to the, the malt store or the malt counter, and we got malts. And I'm like, dude, that sounds awesome. I don't know what a malt is, but I'll, I'll take one. So I asked Mary, let's go out and get malts. Let's, let's do it, right? Date your wife. Love them. Treat them nice. Men, she just wants to be loved and cherished. She wants to feel like she is important to you, that she captivates your thoughts and that you think about her. So date her the way you did when you were trying to convince her to marry you. Go back there. Find a babysitter and do it. Women, wives, he just wants to be respected. He just wants to have you know that you respect him and love him and hear him Deal? Everyone good? We're good? Okay, okay, we're moving on. We're moving on, all right? That's, that's husbands and wives. So husbands and wives, respect one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now let's talk about children and parents. Children and parents. Who here has kids? 
Who here has parents? All right, almost all of us. Okay, um, so here, here's the idea, okay? Here's two things that you can learn about how to deal with children and parents in those relationships and how to live out Christ in the middle of them. First thing you need to do is disciple your kids. Notice I said disciple, not discipline, okay? You can discipline them too, but disciple your kids. Jesus, the last thing he said, he didn't tell them to go love everyone, okay? He didn't say go start a church, he said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have taught you. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. That was the last thing he said before he took the elevator up to heaven. The last thing. So listen, okay? You, moms and dads, disciple your kids. It's not the church's responsibility. It's your responsibility. Don't let them grow up not knowing who Jesus is. Don't let them grow up not knowing. You, you want your kids to pray? They better see you pray. You want to you see them read the Bible? Then you better read the Bible. You want, them to, you want them to know Jesus? Then you better know Jesus. Don't expect them to do something that you're unwilling to do. Disciple them, disciple them, disciple them. Let me tell you, last week I heard this great, great message about stepping out of darkness into the light. Glenn shared this awesome message. If you missed it, you got to get online, download it, watch it again. It was awesome. I sat right there at this pew, and, 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 and I was blown away. I was absolutely humbled by the fact that there's no way I'm going to let my kids go out of my house and move out of my house, hopefully at 18, and not know Jesus. Not going to happen. Not on my watch. So I went home this week. I went home last, actually last Sunday, and I gathered them all together, and I said, here's what's going to happen. New rule for the Bengry house. They love it when I say that. New rule for the Bengry house. I said, we are doing family church. Family church. It's going to start on Saturday, and here's who's going to lead church. And they're all like, yes, the pastor. Nope. The kids. And you're going to have to research a Bible story. We'll give you whatever tools you need to, to do that. And you're going to have to come and present it to the rest of the, the people. So Hannah, the oldest, was up. She did it first week. Here's the, here's the picture of what happened. Here was family church at the Bengry house. Look at the Legos poured out on the floor. I don't think that had anything to do with family church, but what's church without Legos, right? Um, and Hannah shared her message. And we all talked about it. We all asked questions about it. We all, we all answered questions about the passage of Scripture. Then Hannah brought a craft, and we all did a craft together, everyone in the family. And then we all prayed, every one of us. My four-year-old prayed. Why? Because I'm going to introduce my kids to Jesus. I want my kids to know how to interpret Scripture and read from Scripture, not just open it up and let the pastor tell them what he wants to do, but actually see it for themselves. Disciple your kids. If you need help with this, I would gladly give you our model of what we did. It's not a, it's not a perfect model, but I'd gladly share it with you. Gladly. There's no secret to it. I'd gladly share it with you. Disciple your kids. Number two. Number two, when it comes to children and parents. Number two, let's talk a little bit about the church's issue. I mentioned it before. There's a generation of people who have grown up in church and have nothing to do with church. And you know what? That's the parents' problem. So here, parents, talk about the beauty of church. 
talk about the, the awesomeness of church. How do I know that the church is beautiful? Because Christ is engaged to it. Christ thinks the church is hot. He's going to put a ring on it. He already put a ring on it. He's going to marry it. That's how I know there's beauty in this church. Is there a mess in the church coming from a pastor? Oh, yeah. There is tons of messes in the church because there's tons of messed up people. Yours truly included. But there is beauty in the church. So here's what you can do. Don't talk bad about the church. I know there's problems. You don't have to tell me that. If you want to know there's problems, come to a board meeting. We'll tell you problems. <laughs> Don't do it in front of your kids because you're hurting their view of the church. The other thing that you can do is you can be part of the solution. You can be part of the beautiful. We need people downstairs. Do you notice there's no kids here in this service? There's a few of them because they snuck out from downstairs, right? Now, downstairs they have a great kids program, they have a great time to interact, and we need your help down there. Come and volunteer down there in the, youth, in the kids program. Come and help them do that. They need help. You might say, well listen, I hate kids. I do too, that's why I'm up here. <laughs> but they need our help. So you say, well, I don't, I don't interact well with kids. That's okay. We'll just put you in the check-in process. All you got to do is say hi to them and, and type some things in there, and we'll get you moved on. All you got to do is sit down, and you, you don't have to lead or teach anything. You might say, well, I really would want to do that. I want to lead and teach. Fine. We'll take you down. We'll put you in lead and teaching. You don't even have to talk to them. You don't have to interact with them on a one-on-one level. You can just get up there and teach them from a level. Whatever your giftedness is, we can use it. We can use it and create something beautiful and let the kids see the beautiful part of church so that when they get become teenagers, they like church. And when they become adults, they go to church. And when they become cool adults, they start inviting people to church. Wouldn't that be awesome? But we need your help. Last thing. Employees and bosses. Who here has a job? Who here would like a job? Who would like another job? Maybe two jobs. Okay. Who here is a boss? Has people working underneath them? Okay, working for them? Good, good. So you, so you guys know this relationship. Now it says in this particular passage, it talks about slaves. It talks about uh, slaves and, uh, and uh, masters. But I really think in our culture, this is what it means. It doesn't mean slavery. We're not going there, okay? That's another sermon too. But right now we're talking about employees and bosses, your work experience. I told you about the friend of mine who says, I hate my job. There's no, there's, I just hate it. Let me tell you about one thing I learned, one, one, one idea about this. This isn't the whole idea about this, but I have one suggestion for you. It's what I call the armor-bearer principle. Armor-bearer principle. See, there's this great story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, you have King Saul, kind of a, kind of a big jerk, okay? He's really insecure. The Philistines have crept up. He doesn't want to fight them. He's sleeping underneath a fig tree. His son, Jonathan, says, it's God's will that we go take these guys out. God's with us. Let's go do it. Come on, Dad. And he's like, yeah, I'm good. Jonathan's like, I'm going to go do it myself. 
So Jonathan leaves the whole battle and goes to the Philistines that are encamped in this, in this valley. And he goes over to them and him and his armor bearer. Now it's interesting, his armor bearer comes with him. It's kind of like his assistant, kind of like the person, kind of like, you know, like they have in, in medieval times, the ladies in waiting. It's kind of like that. He kind of carries his armor with them when he's not wearing it. He's kind of his right-hand man, best friend, confidant. But he's never mentioned in scripture. In fact, he doesn't even have a name. He's called armor bearer. And this armor bearer goes with him, and they go peek over the hill, and they find this little secret path, and they go around, they're going to take him out, and John says, okay, let's go do it. And his armor bearer says the most beautiful thing. In fact, this motto, this mantra has been my view as an assistant pastor, as a youth pastor, as an associate pastor. And he looks to him, his armor bearer says, do everything you have in mind, I'm with you all the way. That armor bearer realized, it's not my job to dream. It's not my job to envision. It's not my job to lead. It's my job to make that guy look good. It's my job to follow his path and his vision all the way. As an assistant pastor, as an associate pastor, Glenn can say this to you. I've gone to Glenn and say, do everything you have in mind. I'm with you all the way. How can I make this happen for you? Let me tell you, if you work for someone, go to work tomorrow and get into their face and say, listen, do everything you have in mind. I'm with you all the way. How can I help? And live in that role. Let me tell you, there's so much joy operating right there. You may say, well, listen, I really want to be a boss. I want someone to come and tell me to do that. Well, then operate in this and see what God does. Live here where he's placed you. And if you can't do that, you don't have anyone in your, in your job, your boss, you don't want, I don't want to say that to my boss. My boss is a jerk. I don't want to tell him that. Then you need to find another job because that's what's holding you back because you need to find purpose within what you're doing to look to them and say, do everything you have in mind. I believe in you 100%. How can I help? And that will bring you joy in that level of submission and living that out. So the band's going to come up here. We're going we're gonna to close this thing, okay? Now, now, you know, I'm a little bit of a Bible nerd. I really like Bibles, and I also love puzzles. In fact, I love puzzles and games, and uh, uh, you don't ever want to play Bible trivia with me because I'll whoop you, okay? That's how, that's how good I am. So I was reading this passage, and there's one particular verse in here that just bugged me to no end. Can we put that up? It's verse 32. Verse 32. Actually, it's Ephesians 6, 32. Can we put that up? This is what it says. It says, this is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Now, I don't wanna, this kind of bugs me a little bit because he doesn't tell me what the mystery is, right? He says, actually, this word in the Greek is mysterion. It actually means puzzle, okay? This is like saying, listen, there's this thing and it's all messed up and you've got to put it together. It's a puzzle. I'm talking puzzles. I'm talking puzzles in Jesus and church. And my, my thing is like, Paul, come on. Give us an answer, okay? Don't just, just give me the puzzles. I had to figure it out. So I dug a little bit, I got into the Greek, and I actually turned the page, one page back, and I found this, actually. Can we put this up? This is what Paul says. Listen to this. He says, this mystery is that the gospel, the Gentiles, are heirs together with Israel. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ. What's the word that's mentioned three times there? So what's the Saul? What's the mystery? The mystery is that Jesus has come to bring us together. There was a time when you were without. There was a time when you didn't have a spouse. 
And then God brought, and now you're together. There was a time you didn't have kids. And God brought them, and now you are together. There was a time you didn't have a job. And God had brought it, and now you're together. And you're thinking, looking at it, this is a puzzle. This is all messed up. How do I put this together? My marriage is messed up. My kids are messed up. My job is messed up. It's all scrambled. I don't know what to do. I wish I could just fix this piece and move this here and put this mystery together. And Jesus is saying, I have come to put it together, to put it with, to plant the pieces together, to place it together. So here's what I want to do. We're going to close in a minute. We're going to sing that song that we sang earlier, Restore. And some of you are good. Some of you are like, yeah, preach it, Shane. This is awesome. I'm right there with you. I'm good. Some of you, you're not so good. Your marriage is not so good. And if you want us to pray over that, then I tell you, during this song, come on forward up here and we'll pray for your marriage. We'll pray that God restores it. If it's just you today, we'll pray for your marriage. We'll pray for that. If your kids, if your family needs some help, come on forward. We'll pray that God restores it. Pray that God heals it. Maybe you want to go get your kids. That's fine too. Go grab them. Grab them from downstairs. Grab them from the nursery. Bring them in. We'll bless them all. And maybe your job situation stinks. Maybe you need that purpose. Come on forward. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you that God begins to restore restore. So stand with me. Let's close. Let's close. Father, we love you and we thank you. We invite you into this moment. We pray right now that your spirit would move in only a way that you can, that you would come and restore. I pray right now for the person who says, my marriage is rocked. My marriage is over. My marriage is crumbling. I pray right now that you would lead them here, Father, that we might pray for them and your spirit might fill that moment. I pray for the people who say, my kids are gone. I don't even know what to do with them. They're out of my control. They're out living the life they want to live. I pray right now that you would place courage for them to come forward in a step of faith to say that today is the day that I look to Jesus and Jesus came and put my family back together. I pray for those people who need that about their purpose and their job. They don't know what they're doing. They hate the situation that they're in. I pray that you would lead them to be prayed over today, Father, as a point of faith to step out and say today is the day that I receive from Jesus the restoration that I need. Father, I pray this in your power. Come and fill this moment in the only way that you can. Come now, Jesus. I bless these, your people, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.